Welcome to the Mosaic Church Podcast, where we share with you the message of hope and love that lies at the core of the Christian faith. Our weekly sermons delve into the teachings of the Bible and how they can impact our daily lives, inspiring us to journey together towards a deeper understanding of God's infinite love. Join our community of believers as we embrace the power of faith and embark on a transformative spiritual journey. Mosaic Church in Mableton, Georgia exists to lead people to an authentic relationship with Jesus Christ to help them change the world. Now, please enjoy this message from Pastor Broderick Santiago, lead pastor of Mosaic Church. Today we, uh, we conclude this message entitled The Unsaved Christian. Today is the conclusion of this series entitled The Unsaved Christian. And, 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 and I hope that you've been blessed. Excuse me, I forgot to bring my iPad, but we family. By the way, welcome Facebook family. So I'm glad that you're alive with us today. Amen. As we concluded, I just want to just do a quick recap, just a quick recap for those who've missed it. Now, by the way, if you've missed any of these messages, uh, you can go right onto our Facebook page, Mosaic Maywood and Facebook page, and you can catch up on all of them. And you, I promise you, in order for this to make sense, what we're going to be talking about today, you may want to kind of go back and revisit those messages because it's powerful. So let's do a recap. So uh, uh, over these past several uh, uh, weeks, we've been we've been covering uh, what what is an unsaved Christian. Right. We've been we've been going through what is an an, an unsaved Christian in week one. We focused on cultural Christianity. Right. And I asked you to wrestle. If you recall, I asked you to wrestle with three questions just to see, just to kind of uh, uh, check your internal inventory. Right. And the three questions I asked you to wrestle with was, number one, are you an admirer or a worshiper of Christ? Right. Anybody wrestle with that question? I had to wrestle with it myself, even as the pastor. The second question I asked you to wrestle with, with uh, are you filled with holy agitation with the state of the church here in America, right? Are, are, are you cool with things here when it regards the church in America, or are you filled with holy agitation, right? Now, I explained a little bit what holy agitation is, right? It's agitation that comes from the Holy Spirit that makes you uncomfortable to the point where it's like, I have to do something. And the third question I had you kind of wrestle with was, if you are filled with holy agitation, what are you going to do about it, All right? So I hope that you wrestled with that. Then week two, we kind of identified six of the cultural Christians in our churches. Right. There were six uh, 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 cultural Christians that we identified that are in our churches today. We identified the country club Christians. We identified the Senum Christians. Y'all know the Senum Christians, right? Christian Easter, New Year's, Mother's Day. Right. Seen them and they like, hey, I ain't seen them since I last time saw them, you know. All right, y'all get that. We talked about the Senum Christians. Then we talked about the, the other category uh, of cultural Christians is the one who decided but never received, right? Then there was the, the uh, partisans, politics, and prosperity group. Then there was the moral theist group. And then the sixth one was the generational Catholic or denominationalist, right? Those were the six we defined uh, as cultural Christians in churches in America today. And then last week, 
we discussed the fruit of salvation. I mean, how do you know that you're a Christian? What are the real indicators? We covered seven of them last week. If you were here, uh, if you weren't, just you got to catch up on the Facebook live thing. All right. Seven of the indicators to know if you're producing uh, the fruit of salvation. Number one, a changed life through repentance. Number two, eternal. You have an eternal focus. Number three, uh, you search for sound doctrine. Right. Number four, uh, there's evidence of spiritual disciplines. Uh, We discussed four spiritual disciplines, prayer, study, worship and evangelizing. Right. Then number five, generosity. Six, a heart for the loss. And seven, love for God's church telling you you don't want to if y'all missed one single week y'all can see you got a lot to catch up on because it it, it, it's so important it's so important that you catch up the reason why i'm doing this right now is because we just have a census coming out and on that census will be check this out you can check the box based upon your religious affiliation and 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 during this census a bunch of us will check the Christian box. And before you check the box, I want to make sure you know without a shadow of doubt, of a shadow of doubt, if you are a Christian or are you a cultural Christian. This is why I'm doing this series right now, because there are too many people, watch this, that, that, that carry the title of Christian, that check the box as Christians, but don't look nothing like a Christian. There's too many of us. And, 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 then, and then I share this scripture, this key scripture, our, our foundational scripture uh, that, that's in Matthew. And I'm just paraphrasing where it says, many of you who, who, who prophesied in my name, right, will, 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 will come and, and you'll say, Lord, Lord, and I will look at you like I've never known you, right? That's a lot of Christians, who prophesied and cast out demons in Jesus' name, who, who loved the Lord. But he said, I'll look at you and say, I've never knew you. And so my purpose in this message is to make sure that we're not on that side of people that Jesus says, I never knew you. Right. So here it is. Let's talk about what we're going to talk about today. How are, how, how are you going to close this today, Pastor B? Well, I'm going to give you some next steps but also a challenge. And here it is. You know why there are so many unsaved Christians in the church in America today? I'll tell you why. Because there are too many Christians that like Christ, but not enough Christians that are Christ-like. I like the way that sounds. There are too many Christians, cultural Christians, that like Christ But they are not Christ-like. And that's the issue. This is why we're having this message today. And being Christ-like can only happen through the process of discipleship. Discipleship is what we need to be focusing on. Can I share some, some history with you all, some facts? In the New Testament, the word disciple is used 269 times. That's New Testament. The word disciple is used 269 times. The word Christian in the New Testament is only used three times. Wasn't used until they got to Antioch. That was the first time that we hear this word Christian. What was used to identify those who were followers of this movement called the way was simply the word disciple. 
And here's, 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 here's our challenge. Too many of us walk around with this Christian banner, but we're not discipled. This is how we end up falling into the well of being unsaved Christians. Because we're Christians by name, we're Christians by title, but we're not Christians by the heart change. We're not Christians by how we live our lives. We're not Christians because guess what? We're not discipled. We're not discipled. And, 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 and I had a meeting this year with, with our board. And we had a retreat and I said to them what God had revealed to me while I was on my sabbatical. That for the first seven years of this church existence, we had good church, void of discipleship. It falls on the leadership, but it also falls on the congregants. I'll explain to you what I mean by that when I, when I say that. It falls on the leadership. I have to disciple you, and discipling happens not from the pulpit. It happens in relationship, right? But the thing is, we, we have to, watch this, be in relationship with each other. Jesus did not come and die on the cross and rise from the tomb to make Christians. Jesus came, died, and rose again to make disciples. And this is how we fall into the trap of being unsaved Christians because Sunday mornings, I'm going to listen, if I don't be nowhere else, I'm going to be in church. But what happens outside of Sunday morning? What happens when we do the benediction and you leave this place from three o'clock to two, well, two o'clock till, till Monday, Monday morning? You know what I mean? What, what happens after you leave this place? Matter of fact, the next series we're doing is entitled Beyond the 52. You don't want to miss it. You don't want to miss it. Beyond the 52, that starts next Sunday. You don't want to miss a single week of that because I'm going to help you take steps toward discipleship. I promise you. All right. Something has happened here in the church in America where we believe that we can be a Christian and never become a disciple. Something has happened. We believe that we could be a Christian, but never, ever a disciple. And discipleship does not happen on Sundays. Discipleship happens Monday through Sunday. This is to equip you. Sunday mornings is to equip you so that you can be sent. Sunday mornings is not the place to hang out. It's not the place to just chill. And that's good. I love that about us. We do that well here. But this is to equip you so that you can be a disciple. Wednesdays is where discipleship happens. You're studying the word. You're learning about it. You're unpacking the word. This is why this in three weeks, this Bible study has only made it through four verses. That says something about the teaching that's happening here on Wednesday night versus what you're getting for 45 minutes or so on Sunday morning. Four verses. And they're not playing around. We're not having social events. We're studying the word and asking real questions that really make you think and challenge and uh, your thought of what you knew about the scripture. It is not enough, my brothers and sisters, to believe right and behave right. That's cultural Christianity. I believe and I behave. That's what makes me a Christian. I believe and I behave. That's good enough. But are you learning? Are you applying? Are you walking out what you're learning? And are you sharing what you're learning? Because that is what Jesus told us to do. 
teach them everything that I have taught you. Y'all catch that? He said, teach them everything that I've taught you. So in other words, what you're learning, not just from this pool people, what you're learning here in church, you need to be teaching others about. You don't keep it for yourself. Here's what I know. If, if, if you leave this place today and you find the best brunch place in the world, right here in Atlanta, so good, guess what you're going to do? Ooh, you're going to take a picture of your food. You got you to gotta have a picture. That's the proof that it was good. Right. You, and you got to let the world know. Right. And you're going to do it in portrait mode. If you got an iPhone, you're going to do it in portrait mode so it can look professional. Right. Y'all know what I'm talking about. Right. And then once you once you take your picture. Right. It don't stop there. You got to add it to your story. So then you're going to use the little uh, boom zoom thing. We're going to do that. Right. So then you can see it in my story. Then you're going to put on their new post so everybody can see you got a new post so they can see where you at. Right. You're going to do all of these things to let everybody know where you're eating. Then you're going to tell everybody, you know, the best brunch spot in the world is this place where I went. Oh, you got to see my post. I would really love that if some if we did the same thing, you really you, you hungry, you thirsty. Yo, <laughs> I'm telling you, we getting fed and we drinking from the well of God's word at Mosaic Church. There's plenty of parking and plenty of seats. And guess what? If you hungry, we got snacks and stuff in the service. Coffee, don't stop at Starbucks. We got the best at Mosaic. I don't see it, though. So, 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 remember I said a challenge? You don't have to answer it, but. Why are you here? I mean, we're in the belt buckle of the Bible belt. There are churches that do church better than us. I'm not saying they preach the gospel better than us, but they do church better than us. They've got worship teams, worship bands and the flag people. <laughs> Why are you here? In this old raggedy building. Why are you here? In this empty place. Why are you here in this old raggedy parking lot? You can't even see the lines where you should park. What compels you to come to this place that doesn't have a worship team, that doesn't have flag waivers? Why? And don't tell me it's the word because I don't see it active. Why are you here? Think about it. So let's talk a little bit. When I think about discipleship in a perfect model, and my wife and I have been having like long, great, wonderful conversations about discipleship. Like literally, she's like, oh, check out this book or check out this art. I mean, it's just been we're excited about discipleship for Mosaic Church in 2020. Just be ready. And I had a phenomenal conversation with Elder Danny this morning. I'm, I'm excited about what we'll be doing in the area of discipleship beginning in 2020 for Mosaic Church. I just hope that you all are as excited and as active in what we're going to be doing. So just be ready for it. But when I look at a perfect model of discipleship, I mean, let's, let's start with the obvious, right? It doesn't get more, more, more obvious and more clear in terms of a model for great discipleship than that of the Apostle Paul. 
right? Here you have somebody who totally did not believe any part of this thing called the way. Here you have somebody who wanted to just totally tear down this thing called the way. Here you have somebody who was going to the governor having petitions signed to uh, allow him and his posse to kick in the doors of people who were part of this movement called the way. There's no greater example for me in the Bible of discipleship than the model that we find from Paul. And so I want, I, want, I want us to jump over into the book of Philippians chapter 3. And I'm going to give you four characteristics from the Apostle Paul when it comes to discipleship. So jump into your Bible. If you don't have one, I'm pretty sure there's one under your seat or around your seat. And if you don't want to get a paper one, you can use your mobile device here. But Philippians chapter 3, I want to start at verse 5. And I'm reading the New Living Translation. It says this. Paul says, I was circumcised when I was eight days old. I am a pure blooded citizen of Israel and a member of the tribe of Benjamin, a real Hebrew. If there ever was one finger on the pause button, y'all don't know how important that is. This brother is able to trace his lineage all the way back to one of the original tribes. When I say the original tribes, we're talking Old Testament, the 12, Benjamin. He's like, I'm from the tribe of Benjamin. Benjamin, directly descended. I mean, you know who his daddy was. I mean, we, he can go that far and say, when it comes to being a real Hebrew, I got the proof. Or as a young folks say, I got receipts. And this man says, when I was eight days old, I was circumcised. That's important. Right. For Jewish people back then, that was an important part of being a true Hebrew. He said, I'm pure blooded citizen of Israel, a member of the tribe of, of Benjamin, a real Hebrew. If there ever was one, he says, I was a member of the Pharisees who demand the strictest obedience to the Jewish law. So when you want to talk about a real Hebrew, I can trace my lineage all the way back to one of the original 12. Plus, I joined one of the strictest adhering groups to the to scripture. So strict, in fact, watch this, that they added rules to the rules that God gave them to make sure that they adhere to the rules. So when I'm looking at his resume, I'm like, this brother is deep, like he is legit. Then he goes further. Verse six, I was so zealous that I harshly persecuted the church. And as for righteousness, I obeyed the law without fault. Not only did he harshly persecute the church, he was there holding the robes of the people who were throwing stones at one of the first martyrs of the early church, Stephen. Bible tells us that, that when Stephen was stoned to death, a young guy by the name of Saul from Tarsus was there holding the robes of those guys, the elders, the Pharisees, those religious leaders who were grabbing rocks, throwing them and killing one of the first martyrs of the Christian church, Stephen. Paul witnessed this as a Saul at the time. So he's like, I was so zealous. I saw people get killed. I went to the governor to have petitions to kill other people and break in their doors. I was zealous and I harshly persecuted the church. As far as righteousness, 
I obeyed the law without fault. Right? So he lived a good life. He believed at the time what he thought was the right thing. Watch what he says further on. Verse 7. I was once I once thought these things were valuable, but now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. Hold on, bro. You mean your history is worthless? Being a, a, a black Latino here in America, I'm offended by that statement, Paul, because I can't trace my history back beyond 1800s. I might get lucky if I search deep enough and go to the 1700s. But beyond that, I don't know what part of Africa I'm from. So why are you calling me an African-American? And this brother's denouncing that. He can actually trace his lineage to one of the original 12. And he's like, that was worthless. Being an adherer to the law is worthless. Having the knowledge that I have is worthless. Verse 8, yes, everything is worthless when compared, here it is, with the infinite value. Check out that word, infinite value, infinite no beginning, no end. It keeps on going. The infinite, it's priceless. It has its own value, infinite. Y'all seen the infinity sign, right? This is what he's saying. The infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage so that I can gain Christ and become one with him. I no longer count on my righteousness through obeying the law. Rather, I become righteous through faith in Christ. For God's way of making us right with himself depends on faith. I've read this scripture so many times and every time I read it, I get a whole nother appetite for wanting to understand it deeper. I mean, you have to legitimately put yourself in Paul's place. You have to legitimately kind of go back in time and be Paul for a moment to understand what this brother really gave up. Ready for this? For a man he never met. This is what I love about Paul, because unlike the other disciples, the other ones, the other the other part of the, 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 the other guys who walked with Jesus, Paul never did. Paul is so much more like you and I. So much more. He did not walk with the 12 disciples. He wasn't among the 12. Paul is just like you and I. He had an encounter with Jesus that transformed his life forevermore. That's why I like him as a, as a model for discipleship because guess what? You and I, like Paul, never walked with Jesus, but we had an encounter that changed our lives. And Paul gave up everything. I'm giving up my name. I'm changing it. I'm giving up my relationships. I'm risking my family. I'm risking it all. Why? Because all of that is nothing compared to having Christ. This man gave up everything, risked his life. When he gave it up, they tried to kill him. He said, I don't care about that because none of the stuff I have, my pedigree, my name, my money, my status, my relationships, none of that compared to knowing Christ for myself. So how is he a model for discipleship? Here it is. I'm sorry. I'll stay put. I can't help it. The first thing is Paul had a desire for Christ. 
He had a yearning for Christ. He had a desire. If you take taking notes, Paul had a desire. Philippians 3 verses 10 and 11 says this. I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. I want, check this next line out. This is crazy. I want to suffer with him, sharing in his death. So that one way, so that one way or another, I will experience the resurrection from the dead. Catch the part I said, one way or another. In other words, if I had experienced the same death that my Jesus experienced, I want to experience so that I can know him completely. I want to know how it felt to hang up on the cross. I want to know how it felt to be persecuted. I want to know how it felt to be lied on. I want to know how it felt to be betrayed by one of my own. I want to know all of that. I'm so desperate to know how he felt. I'm so desperate to know what kind of power that came, that rose him from the dead i want to know all of this this is why i gave up all of that and here's the thing with the church christians don't want to know all of that we just want to feel good i'm gonna talk to this side we happy with feeling good we happy with getting fed paul ain't mentioned nothing about being fed he mentioned being in pain anybody want to be in pain for jesus i didn't think so because we're Christians and not disciples. He said, literally, if, if no, in, in any way that I can, if that means you strap me up on the cross and you put a throne, a, 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 a crown of thorns on my head, I will take it because I want to know what the man who saved my life went through. Again, I never walked with him. I just experienced him. I encountered him. He's so much like you and I. This is what Paul is saying here. I want to ask you a question, my brothers and sisters. After all of his accomplishments, Paul was like, I want to experience Christ for myself. I want to ask you this. Is what you're currently living for worth Christ dying for? I don't know what you're living for. But I ask you again, if what you're currently living for, worth Christ dying for. And I know we're in, in, in the place where we live, this wonderful, air quotes, free land, right? This place where you can make all the money in the world. This place where you can be anything. This place that has more billionaires than any other place in the entire world, but also on the contrary, we have more homelessness and poverty than places with similar ec economies, right? What are you living for? I don't know. I'm not, I, you know, you don't have to answer that. What are you living for? And whatever that is, what is it worth dying for? I know some people are like, I'm living for my, for my family. Okay, is your family worth Christ dying for? Because here's my argument for people who say, I'm living for my family, I'm living for my children, I'm living for my spouse. Cool. What example are you setting for them in your house? Based upon what you just said, I'm living my life for them. What model are you, are you, are you stressing for them? So let me ask you this. If you are living your life. Right. The life I'm living was worth Christ dying for. So I'm living my life for my children. OK, cool. So what do your children think about prayer based upon how you live your life? Ouch. What do your children think about the church based upon how you live your life? 
Ouch. What do your children think about God's position versus your job position? Ouch. I'm preaching this morning. I don't care. I'm mad. I'm, I'm, I'm just being real. Based upon your life, if you're living your life for your family, what do they think about God in your life based upon how you live? Fix it. Fix it. If you're living your life for money, you are already down a slippery slope. If you're living your life for status, good luck with that. What are you living your life for? And if that thing you're living your life for, was it worth Christ dying for? That's something I wrestle with every day. Every decision I make. I'm, can I be honest with y'all? I'm at a point in my life where I'm, I'm just going to be totally transparent. And God is like, he, me and him are having a battle about this one right here. There's some people in my life that I'm really close with, that I love like family. But I'm saying to myself, you know what? Might be time to cut them. Because if my representation ain't helping their representation and they're not willing to adapt to my lifestyle, I love you, but I'm going to love you from afar. And I'm struggling with it because I have a deep love for these people. But right now, I want to make sure that the life that I'm living here on earth is worth one that my Christ died for. Can I be honest with you? all I'm even questioning the program that I'm watching right now. I'm dead serious. I'm questioning the music I'm listening to right now. I'm questioning all these things. And, and, and listen, what y'all see in public is not what my private struggle is. Well, I'm going to put on a facade. I'm a good, listen, my major in college was theater. So I'm going to act it out. But on the inside, I'm having real struggles about my relationships. I'm having real struggles with what I'm entertaining myself with. I'm having real struggles with that because I'm looking and saying, you know what? Is this worth Christ dying for? What are you living for right now? And is it worth Christ dying for? Number two, do you have a desire to change it? Number two is Paul made a decision. Paul made a decision. Watch this. Philippians chapter three, verse seven and eight. Paul made a decision. He says, I once thought these things were valuable, but now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. Yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have discarded. He made a decision right there. Everything else, counting it all as garbage. Why? So that I can gain Christ. There's my struggle. There's that, there's that, 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 that holy discontent with me, right? Oh, man, I can't. I mean, you know, I love music. Being a musician, I love music. But, man, is, is some of that stuff like, like blessing me? Or is it hindering me? And listen, I, I'm going to be real with y'all. I love TV. I love social media. This allows me to use words like receipts and woke and, and all of these things, right? I mean, I get to stay current. I work with kids. I want to know the language, right? That worked out for me actually very recently in my household with one of my children, knowing the language, knowing the codes on, you know, the texting codes. But I'm being honest with you. I'm questioning some of my entertainment, right? I say this. Me and my wife had a discussion. I like action-packed movies. But you know, you can't have an action-packed movie without violence. You can't have a, nowadays, you can't have an action-packed movie without cussing. That just makes it more action-packed, right? Right? Come on. 
You can't have comedies without, you know, I mean, I watch Sinbad, I get a good laugh. But I watch like, like Dave Chappelle. Oh, man, that brother used the N-word like poetically. I ain't seen nobody use the N-word that great since Richard Pryor. He's good, right? If I watch Sam Jackson, he's like a, a MF poet. <laughs> Come on, somebody. But do I want to be entertained or do I want eternity? I'm wrestling with that, y'all. I'm not by myself. It's what I'm living for worth Christ dying for. That includes the entertainment, the stuff that I allow to entertain. What are my kids? Watch this. What are my kids watching? The other day, uh, thank you, Gerald, by the way. Gerald and, and I have been on a quest for several months to find a piano. Now, in case y'all don't know, can I let the secret out, G? In case y'all don't know, if you go on Craigslist, you can find free pianos all the time in good condition. You just got to go pick it up. And so Gerald, uh, you know, uh, got the De Leon's a piano that he found. And so I said, man, I would like one. And Gerald took it upon himself and he just kept looking. He sends me posts. We finally found one place that had three free pianos. And so Gerald, thank you. He helped me go get it, brought it to the house and boom. So in my mind, I'm thinking, man, we're going to have worship songs and my kids are learning just secular music. And, and guess what I'm mad at? Me. What example have I set for them? If when I'm washing dishes, I'm listening to, you know, some old school R&B, you know, because I, I, I don't know none of the artists nowadays. I don't know none of them. You, I just don't understand it. You know, it's just different. Is it even R&B? What is, what is it? You know, the beat ain't enough for me nowadays because the beats all sound the same. Give me something fresh. So I'm listening to old school R&B, but, you know, Prince, Prince, Prince ain't talking about the Holy Ghost. Huh? I love me some Prince, but he ain't talking about the Holy Ghost. Scandalous. He wasn't talking about the birth of Jesus. <laughs> talking about me and you. <laughs> Let me stop. But I've been listening to that stuff, man. I'm like, wait a minute. What example am I setting for my children? <laughs> Y'all laughing. Y'all. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> speaking in the wrong kind of tongues glory to God Paul lists his credentials previously but none of that is important as his decision is to follow Christ you know what, what, what sacrifices are you making check this out here's, here's the two questions I'm going to leave you with here it is God has our hearts but does he have our lives Right. As Christians, when we say I'm a Christian, that means I love God. I've, I've identified with Jesus. I go to some kind of church. I believe something about the Bible. Right. So so at some point I've given my heart. But God says, watch this. Do I have your life? And that's what that scripture means. He says, you'll call out to me, Lord, Lord. And I won't I, I won't even pay attention. I won't even count. Lord, Lord, when you say, God, I want you to be Lord. You're saying, God, I want you to lead. When you say, Jesus, I want you to be Lord of my life, you're saying, Jesus, I want you to lead my life. But what has happened is we accepted salvation and that was it. He's not leading. We're leading. And we're telling Jesus to follow us. And he says, no, you follow me. This is why I want you to call me Lord, Lord. Yeah, you prophesy in my name. You cast out demons in my name. You call me Lord, Lord, but I'm not leading the way you are.
And he wants to lead us. So the question is, God has our hearts, but does he have your life? Number two question is, does everything we do in this life reveal more of him to others? Does everything you do right now reveal more of Jesus to others? Or does it reveal more of your credentials? Come on, Paul. Number three, Paul had determination. So, so he had a desire to be disciple, to know Jesus more intimately. He made a decision to follow his life and give his life, right, to follow Jesus more intimately. Then watch this. He had determination. Check this out. Philippians 3.14. He says, I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God, through Christ Jesus, is calling us. He says, I press forward. Okay, I gave all of that up. And I still want to know him, even if that means that they put me on a cross like him. I want to know his pain. But check this out. But I'm not done yet. And I believe in this moment, this is where Paul was having that moment. He said, I'm not done until every knee is bowed and every tongue has confessed that Jesus Christ is Lord. That's the kind of determination that he had. How do I know that? Well, well, he went to on his second missionary trip. He met a young brother by the name of Timothy. And he met Timothy on his second missionary trip, and he discipled Timothy. Discipled him so much, there are two books dedicated to his son, Timothy. Timothy, we know about Timothy. Why? Not because Timothy's a cute name. We know about Timothy because he was discipled by a man named Paul. I won't stop there. Then he came across another young brother. By the name of Titus. Titus was a Greek at the time. Titus was considered at the time a a, a Gentile because he was Greek. He met Titus. He discipled Titus and Titus. He converted Titus. Titus became a follower of the movement called the way by Paul directly. And then Titus becomes one of his sons. And then Titus is sent. Watch this. Not to plant a church, but to fix a church. So Titus becomes a disciple and then they go, Timothy and Titus, discipling other people. So when Paul says, I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize. Do you realize Paul did that all the way up until his death? That's discipleship. Check it out. I'll say it this way. Disciple people, disciple people. You want to know if you're a disciple? Here's, here it is. Here's your litmus test. Who are you discipling? You want to know if you're a disciple? Who are you discipling? You want to know if you're a disciple? Who are you discipling? What does it mean to disciple, Pastor B? I mean, because that's deep. I thought that was only for ministers. Guess what the Bible says? You're a minister, and he don't know that I kill these things. He messing with the wrong one. This wasp. Right? Who are you discipling? Who are you walking through Scripture? Who are you sharing with? I'm going to help you out. I'm going to help you out. I'm not going to make this even difficult for you. This is easy. Ready? Start at home. Start at home. Start at home. What does discipleship look like at home, Pastor B? What did I say earlier? Your kids will learn about prayer through what you do when it comes to prayer. 
Your kids will learn about church based upon what you do when it comes to church. Your children will learn about fear based upon you, how you handle fear. Your children will learn about stress based upon how you learn about stress. Your children will learn how to study the Bible based upon how you study the Bible. Your children will learn how to worship based upon how you worship Christ. Your children will learn about generosity based upon how generous you are. And here's the thing. If you can't disciple home, you ain't going to never disciple nobody. If you can't disciple your own house. And three years ago, God dealt with me on this. Two years ago. He said, man, I applaud you, son. You get up there and you preach a good message. You get up there and you look like you know what you're doing. You get up there and you look like you're living a righteous life. But you come home and your house is a mess. You and your wife are beefing. You and your kids ain't even getting along. You lost one because you didn't pay attention. You pastored your church well, but you neglected your house. I'll leave this church before I lose another kid to the world. I'll walk out this joint real quick. Because God said, I'll take care of my house. But Pastor B, I need you to take care of your house. And I'm more committed now than ever in discipling my house. And if you need a place where you, dis- where you can start discipling, you start at your house. Start at your address. Pray with your children. Pray with your nieces. Pray with your nephews. It's the worst feeling in the world when you know you had the opportunity and you blew it. And you fight constantly trying to fix it. I don't want you to feel that, man. I don't want you to experience that. If you have a chance, get in front of it now. Thank you for joining us today. Our prayer is that Pastor V said something that moves you closer to Jesus. If you enjoyed listening to our podcast, we would like to invite you to follow us on social media at Mosaic Mableton and visit us on our website at wearemosaicchurch.org. You can learn more information about our church, ways to support our ministry through financial donations, stay updated on upcoming events, and find resources to support your spiritual journey. We would be delighted to welcome you in person on Sunday mornings to worship and connect with others. Our doors are always open to those seeking a place to grow and explore their faith. Thanks for tuning in and may God bless you on your spiritual journey.